Welcome to Law Talk, a podcast series produced by the University of Minnesota Law School, featuring events, webinars, and panel discussions about diverse topics at the intersection of law, policy, and education. This episode, working as an in-house corporate counsel, global perspectives and insight. We hear from a panel of Minnesota law alumni working as in-house corporate counsel from around the globe. They share their personal experiences and challenges in this role, as well as the benefits and unique skill sets essential to thrive in these positions. Kiri Somermeyer, Executive Director of the Law School's Corporate Institute, moderates a conversation between panelists. Cassie Fortin with the Volvo Group in Gothenburg, Sweden. Dan Potts with the SoftBank Group in Tokyo, Japan. Vicky Kim with LAM Research in Seoul, South Korea. And Echo Wang with the NYU Shanghai in China. This event was recorded on April 10th, 2023. A video replay of the entire event is available on the Minnesota Law YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Minnesota Law podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or via your preferred podcast application by searching University of Minnesota Law School for more Law Talk episodes, as well as other podcast content produced by Minnesota Law. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. On behalf of Gary, Dean Gary Jenkins and the Law School's Office of Advancement, especially my partner in organizing today's webinar, Lizzie Pigelli, we welcome you to another international CLE offering from the University of Minnesota Law School. As part of the Spring Alumni Week 2023 activities, today's special CLE topic will address global insights and perspectives in working as in-house corporate counsel. We are thrilled to have a worldwide panel and audience representative of our very global law school population of students and alumni. Moderator Kiri Sommermeyer, Executive Director of the Law School's Corporate Institute, will serve as moderator today. Kiri, Lizzie, and I are joining you today from a very warm Minnesota where snow is melting rapidly. And our panelists, whom I will introduce shortly, are zooming in from Sweden, Japan, China, and South Korea. For the requisite housekeeping notes, today's webinar is being recorded and the link to the recording will be shared via email following the event. We have live audio captioning enabled. Please click on the live transcript feature at the bottom of your Zoom screen to view or hide these captions throughout today's discussion. We will do our best to reserve time at the end to pose questions submitted by the Q&A feature found at the bottom of the screen. With that, let's meet the stars of our show. First, our faculty moderator. Kerry Sommermeyer is the Executive Director of the Corporate Institute, where she teaches the Business Law Clinic and oversees the Corporate ex Externship Program and independent field placements affiliated with the Law School's Experiential Education Program. She also leads and supports other efforts of the Corporate Institute, including bringing speakers and events to the Law School that focus on business law. Prior to joining the Law School in 22, Kerry was Associate General Counsel at Post Consumer Brands, headquartered here in the Twin Cities. For our panelists, start with Cassie Fortin at the Volvo Group in Gothenburg, Sweden. Kathy, Cassie serves as legal counsel for the Volvo Group Truck Purchasing Legal and Compliance Group. In her role, she focuses on electromobility and works cross-functionally with other legal counsels and businesses within Volvo. Before joining Volvo, Cassie worked in several law firms across Minneapolis, focusing on complex products, liability litigation, and business law. She is a 2008 graduate of the law school. Next, Dan Potts with the SoftBank Group in Tokyo. 
Dan serves as group head of dispute management with SoftBank in Tokyo, where he leads a global group with oversight over litigation, dispute resolution, and regulatory matters. Prior to his current role, Dan provided legal counsel focusing on overseas investments with SoftBank. Before moving there, Dan worked as a foreign attorney in Tokyo for over 11 years and in Seattle-based law firms. He is a 2002 graduate of the law school. And next, Vicki Kim with LAM Research in the Seoul metropolitan area. At LAM for approximately a year now, Vicki serves as corp in a corporate counsel role. Prior to her current position, she served as legal counsel for multiple companies in South Korea, including SK Hynks, Samsung Display, Hanwha Q-Cells, and Advanced Materials. She is a 2016 graduate. And last but not least, Echo Wong with NYU Shanghai in China. Echo serves as Associate General Counsel with NYU Shanghai, where she has served for over six years. Prior to joining NYU Shanghai, she worked with a U.S. higher ed company as head of legal and compliance and at a Fortune 500 manufacturing company and other roles. Prior to joining in-house, Echo worked with Cordart Brothers, now Oric, and Wild Gotchal, respectively, as well as a district court in Shanghai as an assistant judge. Echo received her Master's of Law from the University of Minnesota Law School in 2003. To our panelists, again, welcome and thank you so much for your time and insights today. With that, Kiri, please take it away. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I like the different time zones. I think it adds different energy to a panel. Uh, so I'd like to start with just talking about everyone's current position at your companies and if your role has changed over time, how has your role evolved? So I think we'll start out this first time going in order that Tim introduced everyone. So Cassie, if we could start with you. Sure. Thank you, uh, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, as I, they said in my intro, uh, my role is within um, Volvo Group Truck Purchasing, or GTP. Uh, you'll learn that once in-house, everything becomes an acronym. Um, so I'm heavily involved in the purchasing of all of our automated products and indirect products and services. So um, a lot of people think Volvo and they think Volvo Cars, which is true, but I don't work at Volvo Cars. I work at Volvo group, which includes trucks, buses, marine engines, and construction equipment. So I um, am responsible for the uh, all of the purchasing agreements and that we have with our suppliers, um, our joint uh, not joint joint partners that we have um and it involved uh, yeah i'll just sort of end there as a just a general yeah, involved in co contracts yeah so that's perfect all right dan yes i i'm dan potts it's nice to be here and uh nice to participate in this uh, it's good to see everyone um i'm with a uh, softbank group in tokyo um, and uh, if you've heard of SoftBank outside Japan, you've pro you probably think of them as mainly an investment company that uh, they make investments around the world in um, startups and technology and things of that nature. If you're within Japan, you think of it as uh, one of the major wireless mobile providers. So it's, it's mainly a cell phone company in Japan. Um, and, and that's true. For both of us, um, I, I'm with the group, SoftBank Group, and we're the holding company. So basically, the mobile company and all the investment arms are—they all fall under us. So we 
we tend to oversee that. We don't necessarily uh, exert control over them, but um, it, it, it's somewhat of a complex relationship. But um, it, it, I guess the way I came into my role, it, my, my own department is a little bit unique um, because, uh, because we have so much business all over the world. Um, we have lawyers that come from all over the world and, and we have uh, lawyers from New Zealand, uh, Australia, the UK, uh, Ireland, and then there's me from the US. Um, and, and of course, we also have several Japanese lawyers too. Um, and part of how I came into that role is that um, I'm really the only US lawyer on my team. So in a lot of ways, I ended up becoming kind of the spokesman for US law or the spokesperson, and it, which, which is a little bit daunting in some ways, but um, but it's it's interesting too. So a lot of the a lot of the roles that I've taken on now have come because I received a question in that area and I had to look into it and it turned into something else. And so by the time it did become something else, I ended up being the one who who takes that over. So um, it's an interesting job. There's I, I guess we'll get into a little bit about how we spend our day, but uh, it's something new every day. So um, glad to be here and look forward to the discussion. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Vicki. Uh, hi, um, currently I'm working as part of the Global Legal Services Department at LAM Research, um, which is a manufacturing company that supplies semiconductor equipment and related services. Um, prior to this position, I've worked at different Korean companies, including SK Hynix, Samsung Display, HANA Q Cells, where they're all uh, manufacturing companies, uh, and I was engaged in dispute resolution, mergers and acquisition, and just general corporate transaction matters. Um, I would say that my responsibilities evolved in a way where it somewhat broadened and also narrowed uh, at the same time compared to my past positions. Um, currently, it's more focused in a way that I'm involved in just general corporate transaction matters only but it also expanded where I am um, dealing with more uh, different types of uh, issues and contracts uh, in the role that I am at. Um, I think one of the reasons why that this difference is, uh, exist is because I work with uh, my manager and we are responsible for four different entities located in Korea and this we are part of a bigger uh, legal department which consists about more than 70 or plus um, lawyers uh, and paralegals. Um, previously where I was working in the Korean companies it was a smaller group of lawyers maybe uh, ranging about 10 at most so I guess the different uh, organization structure and um, being part of whether I'm uh, I'm located in headquarter or a local entity as a branch uh, makes a difference in um, the responsibilities I have here. Perfect, thank you. And Echo. Hi, uh, nice to be here. And I'm Echo Wang from China. Currently, I'm the Associate General Counsel of MIA Shanghai. So the MIA Shanghai is also the degree granting campus of MIU globally. So being the most senior people of a legal team in China, I need to take care of the legal affairs involving the whole school operation. So ranging from drafting and reviewing contracts and the formulation and amendment the school policies, agile and the dispute matters, IP, 
and to advising on various legal issues. So basically almost, uh, yeah, pretty much everything. So meanwhile, I'm also the supervisor of the School Education Foundation. Uh, my experience is relatively unique. My, my first in-house job was with 3M and I was in charge of the legal matters of the industry and the transportation business group. So the biggest business group of 3M China. Then I worked with McDonald's China mainly on franchise projects. Afterwards, I was the head of legal and compliance with the Laureate Education Group in China. Uh, Laureate indirectly controlled a private university with nearly 13,000 students in China. So during them, I basically oversee uh, all the legal affairs and the compliance matters involving the private university. So nowadays I have worked with uh, NYU Shanghai for more than six years. Okay, I think Echo froze, froze up there. Um, but we'll keep moving. Thank you. And we can come back and hear more um, if we get a better connection. Let's uh, jump into the next question. Excelling in-house requires more than being a good lawyer. And one of the things we want to focus on in this panel is what are the unique skills essential to thriving as a corporate counsel? So I'm wondering what, what that means to you. How, how does being a, going beyond being a good lawyer um, play a role in your position? Uh, let's start with Dan. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with um, it, really establishing the interpersonal relationships with the people I work with. And, you, you know, when, when I was at a law firm, I mean, you, you get you get a project, you have clients and, you know, you, you, you help them out. Um, in, in this case, I feel like I'm more part of a team um, and then we're, we're one aspect of that team. Um, and in, in part of that, I, I mean, you really have to understand the business and all the stakeholders and all the, um, and all the different groups and departments that you're working with to, um, to so, so you know what, what, their, what their goals are and what their aims are, and then you can provide the legal support and advice to really kind of um, help them out and to, to, to make sure that what you're advising them on is really what they really need. Um, and, and I feel like that, um, the, the other thing I, I, I also am thinking about this is that um, and going back to the interpersonal relationships, um, you know, I, I mean, these are people, these are your coworkers, you know, people in the, all these other departments are your coworkers. And so, you know, I, I guess if you're at a law firm and the client law firm, the client, attorney-client relationship breaks down, I mean, you know, you, there are ways to end it, but these are people you work with every day. So, you know, you really have to be able to um, establish that rapport with them and, and and really get them to trust you so that you know when when there are times where you do have to deliver the bad news they know that that, that they can trust you with that and that mm -hmm. you're what you're saying is um, you're doing it for the best interest of the company um, that that was just kind of my initial thought on that um, yeah I like that does anyone want to jump in yeah, yeah I, I would just say I, I completely agree with that. Um, fostering relationships is, is critical. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, critical, but also for me, I just enjoy it because I'm a very extroverted person, which 
by no means do you have to be an extroverted person to be in-house counsel. Um, but I guess I just, I like the fostering relationships because it really, um, it, when you do that, then they feel comfortable from a business perspective coming to you with questions. And, and that's really what you want. You want to create an environment where, um, you know, they're going to come to you with questions that, you know, even if they're, even if they're silly, or even if they're, even if they're totally off, off mark, but you want them to come to you because maybe they're not off the mark, or maybe there is something really critical. And if you sort of create that open dialogue where Cassie is the person to go to if you have a question, and, and, and sometimes I, I find in, in-house, those fostering the relationships, you sort of become, even if I don't know the answer, uh, well, Cassie will know because as lawyers, we just, we, we solve problems no matter if it's legal. Um, and, and I think that that is, uh, you know, I, I've done that in my own practice within um, the e-mobility space because we have a lot of buyers that I, I support a lot of the buyers and they, a lot of them are new to the area. So they don't necessarily have um, uh, as much background in, in all of the products or, or, or whatnot. And so for myself, kind of creating an open area where it's like, I, hey, I have office hours, or um, if you have questions, please come with me. That might mean going into the office. I, I know like COVID has changed that, but uh, you know, going into the office and, and just finding out that someone, oh, they bike in, they bike into work. Oh, I just got a new gravel bike. Now you have something to talk about where it's, you know, um, you're building relationships outside the context of work. And then so that builds trust and that trust will help you um, down, down the way. So I would echo foster relationships um, like, like Dan said. That's great. Echo, yeah, um, great. Oh, go ahead, Vicki. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add on to um, uh, fostering relationship. Um, it's, on the same line, I guess, but uh, approachability is an uh, important point. Uh, you want to be approachable to your internal clients um, or your colleagues because uh, this would uh, really uh, not only foster relationship, but um, you want them to uh, be not afraid of you to come up with uh, questions, whether it be silly or, you know, a simple questions, but you want them to come to you, be more forthcoming and also to communicate any issues that might be bad or negative. Um, you want to know in advance. So uh, being more approachable and accessible to your internal clients is very important. And I think um, uh, this way you would not only like identify issues that you would not otherwise uh, get or be obvious to you. Uh, and also you can address them in a more effective way by cooperating with them for getting more information about it. Um, and also, I guess, uh, establishing this approachability, you can do it by doing simple things like uh, Cassie said, uh, you, you want to be present in the office so that the internal clients know that you're there. They could come by and just visit you and talk to you in person because sometimes they're more hesitant to write things in uh, emails, they want to just ask, you know, casually of how this is going, or if you are having lunch or just mingling with them, you would sometimes just um, come up, pick up new issues during that in, uh, informal conversations that you are having with your colleagues, or just making yourself available as a resource uh, or as a bridge to connect with other departments. And this way, I think you not only benefit as an in-house counsel, but also, um, I think, the company and whole kind of benefits from getting more issues to the legal department. 
And Echo, I, I know we lost you for a minute there. So the the question is, excelling in-house requires more than being a good lawyer. And what does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, I, I agree with the team's uh, communication skills and also the interpersonal skills are, are very important. So I think the communication skills are important for private pri practice also, but more crucial for in-house counsels. So in, internal clients are from the different departments with different backgrounds. So they have different business aims or goals. So more important, they are not lawyers. So it's not just when we provide legal advice. So it's not just about legal advice itself, rather so the clear understanding and the implementation of like legal opinions by commercial colleagues play an essential role. So business needs to understand the risk around an agreement or legal advice and the exposure for the organization. Uh, and also, I think, uh, know the industry that your entity operates in and the people like, uh, like the team mentioned just now is the key. So you'd better to being an in-house counsel, you'd better to keep up, keep up to date with the business trends, the best practice and how your advice can help your clients achieve their goals. Uh, sometimes the law itself is a bit ambiguous and you need to clarify the requirements practically. So yeah, don't hesitate to talk to people and ask questions. Uh, for NY Shanghai, when I revise admission requirements for international applicants with Chinese heritage, so the relevant nationality law and the Ministry of Education rules are not 100% clear. So to provide better guidance uh, I also refer to other schools' relevant practice so as to frame the wording to better define the qualification of such uh, uh, applicants. So, which is, uh, to me, I think which is very helpful and also useful for the in-house counsels. Yeah. And a quick follow-up question there. What, what are your best tips, any of you, Echo or others, for, for learning the business, learning the industry, keeping up to date? on what's relevant for your client? Uh, for my clients, I, I I actually, I think I had a WeChat group, so the Instant Message APP in China. So we have consisting of more than 100 uh, legal personnel from uh, more than 100 universities. And also like for each year, private to the pandemic, I joined like uh, the annual meeting of the National Association of Universities and College Attorneys uh, in the States. So uh, hopefully, sure. Does anyone else want to jump in with I, any I, tips? This is Cassie. I think she was maybe and mentioning um, various different organizations that are. Uh, uh, industry organizations to be a part of. I think that that's a really good idea um, uh, to be involved in that. Also just, you know, so even though my main focus is the contracts, I, you know, really want to understand what is it that we're buying and selling. Um, and so, you know, they might have um, a portfolio of information that the buyer has that they bring to the, to their their manager. Um, really, even myself looking at that and understanding what the product is, understanding um, what this you know the IPR strategy that we have with a particular part. Um, just asking more and more questions so that you understand what they're doing and so that you can anticipate things down down the road. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. And and I mean, at least with our with with SoftBank, I mean, they 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 have they're involved in so many different things. I mean, one of the things I did was I I tried to meet as many people as I could just to find out what they did. Um, and and if there was a department that I wasn't quite sure of, um, you know, I I'd go and talk to them and see what they did. And then so that later on, when a question comes from them, then it's uh, you understand exactly where they're where they're coming from. Um, and so that's just just trying to get to know people and and establish that relationship. It also helps too, and this is just kind of adding to what I earlier mentioned. Um, you know, some sometimes a legal department will need them. Will need each department, um, you know, we might have maybe like an antitrust filing or something which requires information from various places. And so you need their cooperation too. So it's not just we serve them. They, you know, they they help us a lot too and help us get, uh, get done what we need to get done. So. so I think that's a good segue to my favorite question for in-house lawyers, which is, what what does a typical day look like for you? What do you do? What is your job? So we know, you know, sort of your department. And Dan, you said every day is different, but can you give us just a, an idea of what from from the start of the day to the end of the day, what you might be working on, what sort of unique issues might come up? And Vicky, let's go ahead and start with you. Sure. Um, I guess my the daily work, um, I start with getting a lot of calls seeing a lot of emails with legal inquiries and just consultations. Um, and we have a separate system for the contracts. So we would have a lot of contracts uh, sent through that and be answering all that um, issues. And this is ranging from all sorts of different kinds, especially because I am um, responsible for different entities in Korea. It, it would be anything that um, you would deal with as part of the supplier of a manufacturing company. And for example, it would be termination notices to the other side for you know a termination of the contract, um, any legal uh, document or contracts that would be associated with the business you'd be reviewing. Um, for legal consultations, you would get a lot of um, different questions, whether it be privacy policy issues, or you know sometimes it would be IP issues and you would want to collaborate with your IP lawyers within the department or it would be sometimes uh, HR issues or employment and labor uh, related questions. So there are broad range of questions that would happen within the organization. And as Dan and Cassie and Echo have mentioned before, you would have to really work with the interdepartments within the organization and get that answer for um, them with when it comes to uh, legal consultations. And I guess one other part that I do is also working with the outside counsels. Um, you're kind of a liaison, but at the same time, you have your um, unique place where you know uh, the context of the issue as an in-house uh, and you want to communicate in a more efficient and effective way to the outside counsels um, so that you know they could deliver uh, certain opinions for you and you can collaborate with them. So Echo, do you want to jump in and tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you? Yes, sure. So uh, on my average day of work, I start the day off by checking emails and I try to get back to my colleagues as soon as the better. When I, the inquiries are, are very simple, not very simple, <laughs> relatively simple and easy to adjust. Then I will focus on the complex work or top priority matters on my list. I would like to deal with such matters in the morning. 
when I was more energetic. So recently, we are mainly working on the update of the employee menu and the template employment uh, agreements, as well as preparing for filing the address change with authority, because recently we just moved to a new, uh, new campus. So in the afternoon, I tend to supervise junior people's work, provide feedback, or attend meetings, or talk to people about outstanding matters. Uh, the legal issues are very diversified and depend on the school operation, so pretty much everything from contract, IP, data protection, so negotiation or compensation for personal damages, and the June's use uh, policies or, or sponsor research uh, policy, and uh, uh, faculty member benefits or like uh, donation-related matters, so just to name a few. So for the past few years, uh, I spent most time in tackling the problem arising out of pandemic and the cons construction of new campus. So during the pandemic period, we established a local program in Shanghai to provide the study site for students who are unable to go to the states. So accordingly, we need to recruit uh, contract faculties, negotiated the lease agreement with the landlord in particular to turn the office area to be a study site suitable for our school operation and the time so is very tight. And uh, for this February, we just moved to the new campus. So basically the main legal issues uh, I worked with was uh, ensure the completion of the construction and also the smooth transition from the old buildings to the new campus. So accordingly, need to take care of the campus design agreement, various construction, uh, construction issues, in particular like the lab, IT center, and the cafeteria. So as well as the close associate uh, operation in old campus. So basically, that's my typical day these days. Nasi. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. I'll 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 do a little bit more not a typical day but kind of a typical week because I think there are um I kind of do the same thing that everybody else has sort of said. Yeah, so, yeah. um I think some of the things that uh I was a bit surprised about that we ended up I end up spending a lot of time on is on different um management team meetings. And and mm -hmm. the reason that I I mentioned that is because that can be, you know, anywhere up to 2 to four or five hours a week. Um, and so I, I think that that's important to uh, realize because it, it's not something that I necessarily thought of before I was was in-house. Um, and, and, and those are really great opportunities to learn about the business and to learn about the other key players. Um, so, so I'd say a significant point of that, my week is spent on, on strategic management meetings um, daily, you know, just do answering various con uh, questions related to the contracts that we have with our suppliers. Um, we try to have our agreements, our framework agreements, and our price agreements set up so that for typical questions, the buyers are given the autonomy to answer them themselves. And we kind of create some sort of chart. So if this, then this. And if there's something out of the ordinary, then they can come to us. Um, so answering some of those out of the ordinary questions. Um, or, you know, I, I think everyone probably has spent uh, an extended period of time on, you know, say a larger project. Um, so that, you know, I, I think it was a prior project I had, it was over the course of maybe like eight months, every Friday for like three or four hours, we were meeting with, um, you know, the uh, 
not opposing counsel, but it was it was for a joint venture. So we were meeting with uh, our competitor, um, but also our joint venture. And then, you know, just within that, I, there's just so much uh, a richness of, of, of legal issues, you know, IP, you have antitrust, you have oh, do we have enough insurance? So um, the gamut really of the questions that, that you can have. So, um, you know, in, in addition to some of the negotiations that you have, um, and, and also just, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings with your manager to um, kind of get get them up to speed on what are some of we say hot topics. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then we have our own team meeting. Um, my team consists of uh, about 11 lawyers that are in the US, France, China, and Sweden. And so we have um, biweekly meetings where we talk about any issues that we have or, um, you know, just just things that people should be aware of. Um, so yeah, my, um, I guess my typical day um, is is a little bit, um, it, it, it sounds it sounds pretty similar to what uh, has already been said. Um, a, a lot of times, I, be, I have to, we have to, our, our team has to deal with people in different time zones. So one, mm -hmm. one thing that happens is that um, usually in the morning, uh, I usually get the emails from, uh, that come in overnight, usually from the U.S., either outside counsel or, um, or our U.S. team. We have a U.S. team too. Um, and uh, so I deal with those. And then if we have meetings with the U.S. or calls with them, then um, those usually happen in the, in the early morning. So by the time uh we get through all that then then the uh the, the the people the other departments that have gotten their overnight emails start coming out so then i start dealing with the japan side <laughs> and it's also during this time that we also set up our uh internal meetings with uh with my japan colleagues um and then like cassie said we also have uh weekly updates with our, our different teams um or, or yeah, I, I guess they are mostly weekly updates, although there's a few which are uh, twice a week. But um, but so so once we uh, and then if anybody wants to set up a meeting, then, you know, we do that during the day. So then for the end of the day, then um, the UK team starts to come online. So I start getting probably around five o'clock. I start getting another rash of events from them. <laughs> and sometimes they want to set up calls, too. So we do that. Um, so in the late afternoon and early evening, I usually deal with the UK unless it's uh, something that could hopefully wait until the next day. But, um, but in a lot of ways, my day is dictated by which time zone I'm dealing with at the time. Um, but, uh, so anyway. And in addition to the time zone issues, which I imagine all of you deal with, what are some other unique aspects of working for a global company? Uh, and maybe, I don't know if you've worked for other, you know, more uh, national companies, but just curious if there are other things that stand out that make your positions unique from in that way. I guess I'll start. Um, uh, I think apart from the different time zones, uh, all jurisdictions have different governing law or they would be working also, whether it be common law uh, jurisdiction or civil law ju jurisdiction. Also, they have different working culture in different countries. Uh, some people view legal as more, uh, you know, a risk manager where they can cooperate and work with, while as some uh, would think more of an audit or a um, compliance function. Mm -hmm. So you would have to really uh, understand 
uh, I guess, the cross-cultural differences of each region. And because I also work uh, as part of a bigger APAC group and also uh, with the other lawyers uh, worldwide, it really you really need to understand how um, the organization functions with within that differences of culture because uh, I guess you would want to tailor your communication styles a little differently when you're talking to different regions. Um, I realized that maybe, for example, in Korea, some people prefer that um, when we are reporting things, they want it reported in person orally rather than you know having it via email. Whereas you know it's more convenient or uh, typical for, you know, sending an email report to uh, the U.S. or, you know, other countries. So I guess it really, you need to have, be mindful of the cross-cultural differences between the region and the jurisdiction and incorporate that into your day-to-day -day operation. Something you don't learn in law school. I, I mean, I, Vicky had hit on a point that about the cross-cultural, uh, being mindful of that um, in different laws. I, I mean, one of the things that at least in my, that, that I've come across is like, for example, um, the attorney-client privilege. Um, as we know it in the U.S., in Japan, it does not exist like that. Um, it's, uh, I, I mean, your conversation doesn't mean it's necessarily public. I mean, there's privacy and confidentiality just because of the interaction between the lawyer and the client, but the attorney-client privilege doesn't really exist in Japan. And, and I know, and I would certainly defer to Cassie on this one, but I know in Europe for in-house counsel, it's different than what we would think of in the U.S. So, you know, when you are talking to somebody else, you do have to think about the implications of what you're saying, uh, to, uh, depending on where they are. Yeah, I think uh, you you hit the nail on the head there, or however the saying goes. is In Sweden, that's the same thing. If you are an in-house counsel, you don't have... Uh, the privilege of attorney-client privilege, but if I hire an outside counsel for something, um, that can become privilege. Um, so that that's a little bit, um, you know, uh, coming from law firms in the U.S., a, a little bit uh, takes a, a little bit something getting used to. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think that you know the the cross-cultural pieces is, is is really key. And you know, for, for me, um, there in Sweden, there's this idea of fika, um, which is uh, it's basically like a coffee break, but it it really is a part of the culture and um, um, taking those breaks is not just uh, it's it's a part of getting to know your coworkers, but it's also realizing that uh, people from a cultural standpoint they they're going to take those breaks and and if you don't it, it you're not um, you know working through lunch or working it's it's not viewed as you know she's she's really great you know it, that that it's almost the exact opposite um, and I I think that you know the idea of having lunch with your coworkers and uh, other team members is is something that was very um, it, it, unique to me uh, coming from law firms where I sat at my desk and quick, yeah. <laughs> and quick eight uh, you know and, and it, it's it's a pleasant pleasant difference I think that I uh makes me think about your transition. So I think most of you, um, most of you have had some experience working at law firms. Uh, what did this shift feel like? Cassie, that's a great example, but what other ways did that shift to in-house practice um, impact your, your work? I mean, I think, um, 
you know, being in Sweden and Scandinavia, it's, it, it's a it's a different culture from the U.S. and I, I'm sure from a, a, all the other people on the panel. But um, there really was, to a certain extent, a, a, a built-in work-life balance. And, and I, I say a built-in because, uh, for example, um, you are uh, legally required to have a minimum of three in a row weeks off in the summer and you take it. And... <laughs> That was just <laughs> mind mind boggling to me. I'd, I'd never had that much vacation off at once in the in my entire life, and um, you know I think from e even just in Europe that's that's just something that, that that's very common. You know that in you know the middle of um, July to August Sweden will be on break. You know in uh, our French colleagues will be on break in August, and that was a little challenging getting used to at first because you know the world doesn't stop um but it it kind of does in certain parts and then you have to recognize that you're going to have a lot of work right before those time periods and um you know leading up to that and you have to sort of uh you know work with that so so, so that's one I'll, I'll let some other people give some examples so you know it's a little bit yeah variety uh, to me, I think the shift uh, is uh, relatively smooth, but still uh, difficult. So my first in-house work is with 3M. So before that, I worked with Vergoto um, Mangoes LLP, so a U.S. law firm. So except for the fancy office, the gap between the private practice in-house is, is big. So previously, <laughs> I have strong admin support and have my own legal uh, legal secretary. So uh, being an in-house counsel, I don't have that strong admin uh, support. And also like the in-house counsel needs to pay attention to the implementation of the law. So it's also different. So previously I mainly worked on the project. So now with routine legal affairs involving daily business operation. So for me, so I had to say that uh, the, the challenge is how to uh, work with business constructively. So maintaining the good balance of the business risk and the legal risk so as to get things done properly. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to do so. So in particular, like uh, in the early stage of the in-house counsel role, because uh, for the newcomers, we didn't know the industry very well and we didn't know the people very well, so either. So it, it's kind of like a, the, the challenge and uh, and also it needs to uh, shoulder some risk sometime. So I, I realized in my early stage, I, I, I tend to avoid as many risks as possible. But nowadays I think uh, being a legal counsel needs to be more flexible and needs to be the problem solver. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just add on that? Uh, some of, when you said this, some of the administrative things, I had to laugh because when I uh, first started at Volvo, um, you know, we no longer bring in money; we we cost money. So, um, you know, I didn't have Internet Explorer on my computer for a while, and I had to like figure out how this set up. And there was no admin, and and you know, you're used to being able to call the IT, and then they fix it right away, and and you know, things happen just like that, and you realize that. Um, that, that things like that, you know, don't happen. You, you have to do your own, um, your own billing and your own um, receipts. Um, yeah. yeah. That. 
Um, I personally haven't worked at a law firm. I started off as an in-house, so I don't have that experience to compare it. But I guess one of the difference um, uh, is that, you know, in law firms, uh, clients come to you for help, seeking for help. Um, whereas I think internal clients within a company, you kind of need to go to them. You need to be more proactive than reactive. Um, you also have to be uh, you can't just be a person who says, no, this is risky, or you kind of need to be a business partner where you come up with solutions and let them know, you know, despite of this risk um, that is associated with this issue, this is an option or this is an alternative rather than just saying, you know, this is risky, you know, and you shouldn't do it kind of thing. So I guess that might be a little bit different with the law firm and, and in-house. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, the one thing I would add is that I feel like I'm much more of a generalist than I was uh, in a law firm. In a law firm, you're put in a certain uh, department. You might uh, work in a certain practice area. Um, it it, it in-house, um, you know, if since I'm the U.S. lawyer, you know, if it's a U.S. law question, well, you ask the U.S. lawyer. Um, and... <laughs> It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, so if it's a if it's a litigation question or a securities regulation question, well, they'll you know they'll ask me, and I have to try to figure it out. Um, so I, I I feel like that the uh, you, you can't be too specific about uh, which areas you focus on. It's mm -hmm. very general. Yeah. I also think what Vicky was saying in terms of. Um, you know, learning that you need to be, you, you can't just say no, or you can't just say, this is what you need to do. Um, and that was sort of, you know, when you're at a firm, that's what they're looking for. What's what's the right way, way about going things? And I think one of the harder lessons that I had to learn very quickly was that just because I think the business should go a particular way doesn't mean that that's the way they're going to do it. So if when they don't, um, I need to be able to tell them, okay, well, this is what you could do. This is what you should do. This is what I think you should do. And here are all the consequences of, of all of those things. Um, so if they decide to do something that I, I don't necessarily think is as um, from a legal perspective as, as good of idea, maybe they, they're willing to take it from a business risk, then I have to identify what are the legal risks and business risks for them. So um, yeah, so just because they don't, uh, just because something isn't a good idea doesn't mean the business won't do it. <laughs> and you have to uh, be creative in how you can resolve those issues. Mm -hmm. So I do want to encourage people to ask questions in the chat at this point. If you have an overarching question, that's fine. Or if you have a specific question for an individual panelist, um, please go ahead and submit any questions. And while you're doing that, um, I'll go ahead and ask another question so we can keep chatting. Uh, I. Uh, Cassie, your comment about being in management meetings and leadership meetings um, made me think about how corporate legal counsel can contribute to achieving broader company goals. So how you mentioned being a cost center, but you know, I'm curious, how does the legal function deliver value to your to the actual business operations. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we are a cost center in a, in a certain sense of the way, but we also, uh, you know, instances of, you know, 
doing X, Y, Z and then saving lots of money. So there, there are, you know, it goes both yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, sorry, can you repeat what the, yeah, I lost so my, the question my train is, of thought. For, for anyone, please jump in. How does your legal function deliver value to the business? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, knowing what um, the business is, knowing what uh, we can get ahead of, um, if we use just COVID even for an example, or, you know, we had this huge influx of for, force majeure letters, like, it, that was just a clause that no one ever knew, it was, it, it didn't exist, no one ever said force majeure, um, you know, and sort of setting up uh, uh, a adding that value to your business because you know that that's going to come and we set up, uh, you know, just draft letters that you, we can use to respond to them and it's in an efficient manner and, you know, letting, uh, pr protecting our assets. Um, so, so, so that's one example of, mm -hmm. of a value that you can add in in a time of, of, of crisis. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We did just, just get Oh, go ahead, Vicki. I'll let you answer and then I'll throw in the question. Go ahead, please. Oh. I was just going to say, uh, with respect to the cost center part, uh, I, I guess we could also save money in a way, for example, if we communicate efficiently and effectively with the outside councils, we'll minimize the outside council's uh, fee. Or mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. if, if if we have, like, for example, a product liability case and we want to, we need to pay damages, we would, uh, as lawyers, we would look at the agreements, you know, if there is any room that we can minimize or whether there was mitigation efforts that was done and so on. So we would look into all the documents and the relevant contracts and provide solutions and also put that into a settlement agreement writing where, you know, if we cut the cost of what we need to pay as damages, that's also adding value. So I guess there are a lot of ways where we can kind of minimize the capex of um, the company. Yeah, thank you. So I, I love the question because it's perfect for alumni week. How all of you went to the University of Minnesota Law School? How did you transition from Minnesota law to an in-house counsel position for an international business? Dan, you're laughing. How about we start with you? Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, somewhat by accident. Um, I, I, I guess um, I, I ended up, I, well, I went into... First, I was a clerk at a, an appeals court in Washington State, and then I went to a law firm. Um, I, I had connections to Japan. My my mother was from here, and um, and my wife's from here too. And so, um, and so that that's how I ended up with um, uh, and ended up at a Japanese law firm. Um, as a, as a foreign lawyer at a Japanese law firm, it's it's not quite the same as if you're at a US law firm where you know you start as associate and the goal is to make partner. Um, those opportunities exist for foreign lawyers, but they're few and far between. So really in terms of uh, having more of a career track, uh, in-house was really the best option for me in Japan. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it was all, um, I mean, everything just kind of happened by chance. <laughs> something came up and, and, and it just, just don't came. sell yourself short. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll say sort of how I came about too. I, I also started at 3M in, in law school. Um, well, uh, 
in one of my legal jobs and uh, just went to different uh, products liability litigation firms. I, I don't know if anyone on the panel studied um, abroad in law school or undergrad, um, but I studied in at University of, oh, you did? Okay. I, I studied at the University of College Dublin. Uh, and from then I just, I always wanted to come in on an international level and I wanted to be in house. Um, I actually didn't get my job in Sweden uh, first. I moved to Sweden uh, for a relationship and then found my job. Um, mm. The relationship didn't work, but I really liked my job. So I thought, well, I'm gonna, you know, continue working in house. I like this. I can always go back to the U.S. if I want to, and I, I like living in Scandinavia. And so um, I, I just I found a different suite, and here here I am. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I guess I want to highlight one of the sort of indirect ways that I came about this position um, was because I saw a article written, there's this thing called The Local, and it's a newspaper for um, different, different countries. And so there was a woman, a Minnesota lawyer in Sweden, who wrote about her favorite coffee shops in the area. And I thought, a Minnesota lawyer. So, you know, I looked her up. Um, we have since become very close friends. Um, and then through that, just on LinkedIn, you know how like the algorithm works. I came across um, another lawyer at Volvo looking for someone who uh, was looking for an assistant. And at that time, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, in Sweden. And I just emailed the person and I said, hey, this is my background. I'd love to have a conversation with you about being an American lawyer in Europe. And he emailed me right away and was like, let's talk. Um, and when I went in the next day, you know, he was, why are you trying out for a trying out? Why are you interviewing for an assistant position? And I just thought, well, you have to start somewhere. And, um, you know, I, I didn't go to law school here. And he just ended up saying, well, I have bad news and good news. I can't offer you this position, but I can offer you a legal counsel position because yeah. he need, he needed one. Yeah. Um, and at that time, you know, in, in Europe, you usually have a three month window where you have to give your employer time and I could start right away. So it was uh, a lot of right place at the right time and, and skill set. So, uh, you know, LinkedIn is LinkedIn can be good. That's a great story. Echo, go ahead. Yeah, uh, for me, it's kind of like unique. And thanks, uh, Minnesota Law School. So I obtained master's degree. And afterwards, I passed the New York bar. Um, so then afterwards, I, I just went direct back to China, so basically in Shanghai. So I landed a job in one of the US law firms, the Shanghai representative office. So basically, I just wrote email to the partners because we have more than 200 like US law firms uh, in China. So basically, I just found the partner emails and directly wrote to them. So afterwards, I landed uh, a legal consultant job in Kudia Brothers. So, so, so first uh, you, you international law firm practice law in, in China. So afterwards I joined where I go to uh, Mango's ILP. Um, so basically I had private practice for around six years. So uh, I want to have a work-life balance. So I become an in-house counsel. So basically it's a bit uh, simple, relatively, relatively simple. <laughs> But thanks, uh, Minnesota Law School, for the training. <laughs> it's great training. 
we do have one more question, Tim. Do we have? Can, can I just add one very oh, quick yeah. point on that? Um, yeah, alumni connections very helpful. Um, before I came to Japan, I did meet with two Minnesota law alum in Tokyo. Um, didn't result in a job, but it got it helped me uh, with great advice. And so I could really kind of focus my career and you know, see what, what I could do. But I wanted to plug that. Uh, Vicki, do you want to answer that first question about transitioning from Minnesota law to an in-house? Sure. Um, so I, uh, I was reached out by LinkedIn as well. Um, and I always wanted to come back to um, my home country to work as well. So um, that, I started at Hanaki Sales and that led to different industries within the manufacturing business. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up at my current job. So I wanna be mindful of time. Tim, we do have one more question. Do, do you think we have time for- Yeah, I, I think we need a, we can pose the question and then we just need some quick responses. Um, so we'll, cause we will close right at the hour. Great. So the question is working with a wide range of laws as an in-house counsel might keep you busier compared to working in a law firm where you're assigned to a specific area. Like Dan mentioned, how do you manage to develop your skills and knowledge when faced with such an extensive scope of work? Any short answers? Yeah, um, uh, I guess um, I, you need to really communicate with your uh, departments. They might be a good resource. Uh, they like, for example, if you're in the tech business, you want to know the technical information and you will just communicate with your colleagues about that. And also uh, use like newsletters that are uh, set from law firms to just keep up with the trend or communicate with other in-house uh, lawyers from the same business. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are many ways of having that resource to develop your skills and knowledge um, as an in-house. That's great. Well, Tim, I might turn it over to yeah. you to see some closing words. So we have a little yeah. closure at the end here. We're great. No, thank you, Kiri. <clears throat> so to all uh, our attendees, uh, thanks so much for your time today, be it your morning, afternoon, or evening. Uh, we appreciate the support of alumni uh, to uh, participate and learn from your fellow alums who uh, you know, offered some fantastic insights in articulating uh, their experiences for everyone today. So to our panelists, again, Cassie from Sweden, Vicky in South Korea, Echo in China, and Dan in Japan, thank you so much for your time uh, today and, and always. And Kiri, thanks for moderating such a fantastic panel this morning. Appreciate you getting up and, uh, and joining us. And Lizzie, to you and the Office of Advancement, thanks so much. Um, I'll close by saying on behalf of Dean Jenkins and the the law school and myself here at the University of Minnesota Foundation. Thanks to everyone for your support of the U and the law school. And I wish everyone has a great uh, spring season. Take care and thanks again for your time today. This podcast has been brought to you by the University of Minnesota Law School. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to our YouTube channel for more Minnesota Law stories, news, and information. To subscribe to the official Minnesota Law Podcast channel, please visit soundcloud.com backslash Minnesota Law or find us on your preferred podcast network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the University of Minnesota or the University of Minnesota Law School. None of the content should be considered legal advice.